0: This week, on Myths and Legends, it's two Japanese fairy tales, and you'll see why it's a really good idea to make friends with cow dung, and how the cutest of animals can come up with the bloodiest of revenge plans. The creature this week is why you'll want to sleep with a bale of hay, and chop some coffee grounds before bed. This is Myths and Legends, episode 143, Crabby. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. So, long, long long-time members might recognize today's underlying stories as ones shared in the member feed years ago. That would be correct. However, I've been thinking about these two Japanese fairy tales recently, and we decided that it would be time to go back and redo them because, one, honestly deserve a much wider audience, and two, those were the early days of myths and legends. And I like to think that we've grown noticeably since then, both on audio quality and narrative writing. So for most of you, these are completely new stories. And for the others, I hope you enjoy them anew. Our first story is the Battle of the Monkey and the Crab, which is exactly as epic as it sounds. Though the beginning might sound a bit like the monkey and the tortoise story, stick with it. You'll see when it veers off and becomes its own tale. A long time ago, a monkey and a crab sat playing together by a river. Along the bank lay exactly one rice dumpling and one persimmon seed. In time, the crab chanced upon the delicious, sticky rice dumpling and the monkey found the hard, decidedly not delicious, persimmon seed. Now, the monkey loved persimmons, but at the moment, given his post-play appetite, he much preferred the savory rice dumpling. Its scent wafting over and making his stomach growl. Just before the crab ate it, monkey stopped his friend. Monkey was uh, so happy looking forward to the whole tree of fruit in the future, (sighs) It was way better than that dumb but really delicious rice dumpling. Monkey grinned, looking straight at the crab. I'm gonna go plant this thing right now, he announced. He was so jazzed to wait a few years for this tree to grow to maturity and harvest all those sweet, sweet persimmons. Ah, the crab had no idea. Now, the crab was not the smartest crustacean on the riverbank, and he believed the whole thing. In his mind... He could already see the luscious tree sprouting, growing, and gleaming in its full harvest glory. It made his crab mouth water, if that was even possible. So he quickly offered a trade. The savory rice dumpling for the persimmon seed, bursting with potential. Monkey's smile returned. They had a deal. With a mouthful of rice dumpling, Monkey watched his crab happily scuttle away, scooped a hole with his claws, planted the seed, And waited. And waited. And waited. Eventually, he married in a tasteful crab wedding ceremony. Had a crab son, and by the time the young boy crab reached late crabhood to early crabalessence, the persimmon tree had begun producing fruit. Every day, crab dad sat watching them ripen, looking forward to the day that his trade finally paid off. Finally, the big day arrived. The persimmons were ripe and ready for picking. And that's when he realized that crabs could not climb trees. At all. He scratched his exoskeleton with a claw and scuttled backwards a few paces. Huh. Yeah. That was kind of an oversight. Especially since he'd been sitting by this tree for months, waiting for those things to ripen. Still, unless he wanted to watch the literal fruit of his labors rot on the tree above, he needed help. And then, With a crab smile, he remembered the friend who had started all this persimmon business, the one he hadn't seen in years, Monkey. Monkey was such a good friend. He was willing to help and for no compensation. Monkey, we should all be so lucky to have a friend like you, beamed crab. Hands on his monkey hips, monkey surveyed the job and nodded. Yep, he would have all those persimmons off the tree and into the crab's mouth in no time. Eagerly, monkey scrambled up the tree, while crab waited below to catch those wonderful, ripe persimmons. He stood there, mouth agape in anticipation, as though he was catching raindrops. But they never came. He shouted up at the monkey, Hey, uh you kind of disappeared among the leaves. Got any of those persimmons coming my way? Monkey? But Monkey didn't respond. Not in words, that is. All at once, Crab heard lips smacking and chewing. Monkey? Monkey was eating his persimmons. He'd spent years, years cultivating this tree and Monkey was at the top of it, completely out of reach gorging himself on all the crab's hard work. He raced around the tree, shouting up at Monkey to stop. This wasn't fair. The Monkey traded for the rice dumpling. If he had asked, he could have had as much as he wanted. Monkey, stop, please. Monkey ate until he was full, but the persimmons were so good that he couldn't stop. One after another, he continued stuffing his face to the point of being sick. Mid-food coma? he noticed Crab dancing in circles around the tree. And the sound annoyed him. It was Crab's own fault for trusting the monkey. And when he shut up about it, he was ruining monkey's stolen meal. That was just rude. Suddenly, a thought popped into monkey's mind. What if the other crabs are around? This crab at the base of the tree, Crab Dad, was the chief crab. Monkey could deal with one crab, sure, but he didn't need the whole group of them here with their armored shells and snapping claws. He plucked one of the unripe persimmons, one of the few that remained, and it was hard as a stone. He chucked it down at the crab to placate the decapod without even looking, and then he heard a sickening crack, followed by an unusual shriek. Monkey peered down from the tree and shuddered. Oh no. Three of the crab's legs had been crushed by the flying persimmon. Crab might never walk again. Crab howled from below, calling out to anyone who might hear him. The monkey had betrayed him. Monkey had betrayed all the crabs. Monkey must pay. Worse than the legs, for monkey at least, was the fact that crab was now squealing. If the other crabs arrived on the scene, they would surely cut monkey to pieces with their claws. Be quiet. He hissed from the air. He would make it right, he promised. But Crab refused. He wasn't listening to Monkey. In fact, he'd never listen to Monkey ever again. Monkey scowled, folded his arms in a huff and another unripe persimmon caught his eye. He it from the branch and flung it down at Crab's shell. At his back, there was another crack, another scream, louder this time. Monkey grew angrier he found two, five, then 10 hard persimmons to throw in his rage. Soon, he lost count, but with every shot, the cracks below became louder, and the crab's cries weaker. Then, silence. Breathing heavily, Monkey calmed himself and ventured to look down through the leaves. Oh, oh no. Crab's shell had completely cracked, his organs spilled out on the dirt. And even though he was dead, his remains continued pouring out fluid onto the ground. Monkey buried his face in his hands. What had he done? Bewildered, Monkey looked all around. No one was here, no one had seen it. He had to get out of here, stat. He stumbled on the tree and ran as fast as he could back to his monkey house. Today was the day the crab's son thought to himself as he scuttled toward the river. His father had been watching that old persimmon tree for some time, and the younger crab knew that today was the day that he finally was going to have a chance to sit by his father, bite into a ripe persimmon, and watch the sunset. However, as he neared the tree, he began to feel as though something was wrong. Very wrong. At first, he didn't see his father. Only a pile of persimmons, but those didn't look ripe. He broke off into a run, and pushing the persimmons aside, he found his father's crushed body beneath the pile. The crab's son looked up into the tree. Almost all the persimmons were gone. Someone had gone up there, stolen all the ripe ones, and threw the rest at his father, someone had done this. As the young crab thought, the fog of grief evaporated into rage, and he remembered what his father had told him about the persimmon tree, about how he had obtained the seed from this greedy monkey. Well, young Crab didn't have his father's trusting, easygoing nature. His mother had always told him that the monkey was bad news, but his father refused to see it. Now, it had cost him his life. All because Monkey had wanted a free lunch? He thought about scuttling off in rage right then to confront Monkey. But he knew that that was folly monkey had been bigger than his father. Look what happened to him. The murderer was also wily, strong, and dangerous. The little crab would need help, and he resolved to find it. He would have his revenge, and he would kill that monkey. So, the young crab clipped home and thought about who to call, he ran through his mental Rolodex of his father's closest friends because he was a crab and unable to draw up an actual list on account of him not having a pencil or paper or thumbs. He first went to the mortar. Yes, a mortar and a large one like the one Baba Yaga likes to cruise around in. He was sad to hear of Crab Dad's death and helped the son move the body out from beside the river. With a stern look, the mortar said he would be happy to assist further and I quote from the original, punish the monkey to death. Moving down Crab Dad's holiday card list, the humble team of two grew steadily, adding a chestnut, a cow pie, and a bee to the group. We aren't told anything about the history or why Crab Dad had such a variety of friends, but if there's one mark of a life well lived, it's having a mortar, chestnut, cow dung, and bee willing to do violence on your behalf in an Ocean's Eleven-style revenge caper. Rest in peace, Crab Dad. Rest in peace. And so, They all stayed up long into the night and devised a plan. The next morning, the band dispersed, and the mortar went with the crab to help him bury his late father. We'll see what plan the little crab came up with, but that will be right after this. We need to talk about something. Constipation, abdominal pain, and bloating. You tell yourself it's not that bad, You take laxatives and modify your diet and exercise routine, but thinking about it all the time is frustrating. Do you find yourself making up excuses instead of admitting to people that you don't want to go out because you're worried about leaving home? Despite your best efforts to feel better, your symptoms keep coming back. If this feels all too relatable, you are not alone. If your gut symptoms return again and again and you don't know why, it might be time to seek help. Like 13 million others, you might have a real medical condition called Irritable Bowel Syndrome with Constipation, or IBSC. To get more info about your symptoms and IBSC, go to ohmygut.info slash podcast. Learn about your constipation, abdominal pain, and bloating. And if you're ready, find out ways to talk to your doctor or access one online. That's ohmygut.info slash podcast. ohmygut.info slash podcast. Alarm. The willies. Heebie-jeebies. Panic. There are dozens of words for fear, but only one for exceptional home security Simply Safe. So, when it comes to home intruders, we should all be so lucky to have it be the Akaname, the creature of the week we talked about who comes in to, yes, lick your toilets clean and nothing else, or the Buttercat, who only wants to take your dairy based perishables. But, of course, you never know who wants in, and for what reason. Simply Safe is home security that knows it feels good to fear less award-winning 24-7 protection that will see you through all hazards, blizzards, blackouts, and burglars, and they've won awards from all the tech experts that count. The Verge says it's the best home security. It's won Reader's Choice from PC Magazine. It's a two-time winner of CNET's Editor's Choice, and it's a Wirecutter Top Pick. Better yet, SimpliSafe has no contract, no hidden fees, and no gotchas. They keep prices always fair and honest. Fear has no place in a place like home. Try SimpliSafe today, with free shipping and free returns. You'll get a 60-day risk-free trial too. Order now and have your home protected within a week at simplysafe.com/legends. That's simplysafe.com/legends. Be sure to go there so they know who sent you. All right, now back to the show. Meanwhile, the monkey was sitting at home wringing his hands. What if someone knew, he worried. He could handle one crab, maybe five tops, but the crab village down the road, of which Crab Dab was the chief, they would cut him to pieces. Monkey resolved to stay home, but then, of course, he grew bored and decided to do the exact opposite of staying safe and ventured to the nearby crab village. The crab's son hadn't told anyone, save the revenge crew, what happened to his father, and the whole village had assumed that he died the foolish death of trying to climb a tree for his precious persimmons, which, yes, was very on-brand for Crab Dad's history of thinking things through. Upon realizing that there weren't actually any wanted posters bearing his face, Monkey rejoiced, went home, and slept peacefully for the first time in days. I mean, he still had his friend's death hanging over his head, but at least no one knew. A few days later, there was a knock at Monkey's door it was the young crab. Apparently, they were having a banquet in honor of Chief Crab Dad, and since they were old friends and all, everyone wanted the monkey to attend. Outwardly mournful, but inwardly snickering, Monkey nodded. He would love to do his old friend this honor. So he dressed, and went with the young crab to the banquet. There he ate at the table with the crab villagers, and drank sake, and everyone was pretty pleasant, because they didn't know that he was the murderer. After it all was over, the young crab asked the monkey if he'd like to have some tea and reminisce. The monkey had been a friend of Chief Crab Dad longer than most in the room, and the young son imagined he had more than a few stories. Regardless, the monkey had to be pretty torn up about it. After losing one of his closest friends to a stupid accident, the monkey pursed his lips and nodded. Yeah, yeah, all this was definitely so sad. He did some mental arithmetic to see how long he had to hang out at Crab Dad's funeral to not look suspicious and nodded. Sure, some tea sounded great. With a smile, the son directed a claw to a separate room. He'll be right back with the tea leaves, he said. Monkey sat back and marveled that the crabs were able to build a crab community center. It was actually pretty impressive. Moments passed, and the monkey began to realize something. The crab son wasn't coming right back. That's when monkey started to become annoyed. He didn't have all day, he had things to do. I'm assuming I'm really no expert on a monkey's to-do list. After about 20 minutes, monkey further realized that he had a lot of sake, and he was really thirsty. With time to kill, monkey decided that he would go move the coals around, and, you know, just start the water boiling. He grabbed the poker blew on the coals and they sprang to life. He watched the flames dance back and forth a moment before something else caught his eye. There, near the fire, it wasn't a piece of coal. He bent closer. What was that thing? Then, he heard a pop. The chestnut, the crab's trusty friend, had been crouching in the fire and it popped and shot out at the monkey, hitting him on the neck with a shocking burn. Monkey recoiled, shrieking in surprise, and ran to the water bucket in the corner. He had to pour cool water on himself, or else the entirety of his fur might catch fire, and he would be as dead as he was naked. But there was something else in the bucket that he didn't see. The bee, the one that Monkey would have been able to catch, if not for his burning neck, flew up and stung him just under the eye. Monkey screamed anew, his outburst shrill and pained as he hunched clutching his face. What in the world was going on? He had to get out of here. Looking up in panic, Monkey found an open door and he bounded toward it. If it wasn't for his swelling eye, the singeing burn, and the sheer panic, Monkey might have noticed the cow pie lying in the doorway. As he ran through, he caught his foot and slipped on the dung. With a splat, Monkey landed face first on the ground and he was unable to get up in time. Mid-faceplant, he heard a low rumbling coming from the rooftop. It was the mortar. The weighty wooden thing careened off the roof in a frankly showy and well-timed pro-wrestling attack and landed square on the monkey's back. With a crack, he shattered the animal's spine and pinned him to the ground. Time stood still and everyone froze. As dust settled, Monkey heard eight small legs walking toward him. By now, Monkey was weeping in incredible pain and thought that he surely must be dying. Not yet, came the little crab's voice. Did you think I wouldn't know you murdered my father? Through desperate, gasping breaths, Monkey looked at the crab. This wasn't happening. How had they found out that he was the murderer? How on earth had this little thing managed to best him? The monkey's fear morphed into a glare. It was the crab's own foolish father's fault, he spewed. The monkey wasn't to blame. Little crab slid a sharp pincer on the monkey's skinny neck. Lying even now, said the crab's son. And he closed his pincer. Monkey's head thudded to the ground and rolled a few feet before coming to rest. A look of shock still on his face. We did it, everyone, the little crab announced. Hey, mortar, you can get off him now. Mortar? He looked up from the severed head to see his friend, the mortar, cracked to pieces from the fall. He tried to shake it, but it didn't respond. He was so focused on his revenge that he hadn't even noticed. He called for the others to cowpie B and the Chestnut. Help! They had to do something for their old friend! But he was only met with silence. Crab walked back toward the building, scuttling quicker and quicker. Even before he reached the door, Crab could see that the cow pie had been trampled and crumbled to pieces as the monkey tripped over him. Inside, all was silent, too. And the crab feared the worst. There, In the middle of the room lay the motionless body of the bee. When he'd stung the monkey, he'd left his stinger and sacrificed everything for the cause. Crab wept, and finally, he found the chestnut on the floor near the fireplace, or the smoking remains of the chestnut. It had stayed in the fire for too long while it waited, and now it was little more than an ashy shell. The pop had killed it. Little Crab looked at the blood from the monkey on his pincer, and to the destruction all around him. He had killed the animal, he had avenged his father, but it had cost him the four things that loved his father perhaps even more than he did. They had believed in him, they were the only things that believed in him, that he wasn't just some fool who couldn't climb a tree, though he absolutely was that as well. Now, they were dead, And as the sun set into the cold night, the little crab realized just how alone he truly was. So, that's the story of the crab and the monkey you look it up, you'll find several variations of it too. Some depict a war between the crab village and the monkey, others swap out seaweed for the cow pie, and in some, you don't see the cow pie at all. I probably went with the most violent version, but it's also the closest to the original that we have put down to paper. I love this one because it's this very serious tale, wrapped up in an absolutely ridiculous premise. You have a son struggling with honoring his father, while climbing into this awareness of his profound isolation at the end of the story. I can't imagine that he realized he loved his father, but it was his own need for revenge, not avenging his father's death that drove him. Instead, it's the others who gave their lives in pursuit of justice for a dear friend. It seems to touch on these super large themes of family, duty, and the cost of payback, but it does so with a cow pie and a monkey who dresses up for a banquet. It's a great marriage of the touching and ridiculous. One of the main things I go for on this podcast The second story today is about new beginnings. A woodcutter walked the path toward the mountains. He was farther from home than he had ever been before. It was midday, though you'd never know it by the way the trees blocked light from the forest floor. How had he lived all these years in this forest, yet never been through this area before, he wondered. On he hiked and rested and hiked and rested. There was a time, long ago, when he could walk for hours. Now, however, he could barely walk 30 minutes without a break. His feet ached and his back felt knotted and sore and he was acutely aware of every piece of him sagging and flagging with the long journey. He was strong for his age, grinding out a life as he had always lived with his wife deep in the forest. It was meager and hungrier, but it was theirs but then food became harder to come by, and it was more difficult to pull himself up from bed in the morning. He knew that the day would come when he, his wife, or both, would no longer be able to rise and work. Then what? He put that thought out of his head, the mean task of living, always forced him to put such thoughts out of his head. He needed to find wood and return home. Bubbling water in a nearby grove tickled his ears and reminded him of thirst. The woodcutter peeled his tongue from the roof of his mouth, and pushed aside the branches to reveal a spring. Water flowed from the rocks jutting out of the side of a hill, and the woodcutter decided to take another rest. The water was cool and clean. He took off the straw hat that protected his wrinkled, hairless head from the sun, and took a long drink from the pool below. He knew cool water on a hot day would be refreshing, but this was something else. As he drank, his skin and scalp itched, and his chest felt tight. But all this felt good. It was as though he had been renewed with energy. Between each gulp, he was sure that he could even breathe better. When he at last stepped back from the stream, he knew that everything had changed. There was no explanation, really, but he felt taller. He took a deep breath and looked around he felt like he could go for another five miles without a break. What was in this water? On closer inspection of the spring, he noticed something. It wasn't the water itself, but rather his reflection. The skin of his face was tight. No more wrinkles, no more jowls. His arms were once again strong and able, not twigs with dangling skin. Taking the place of his sometimes shiny bald head, was a thick mop of black hair. He began laughing hysterically at the sight, and suddenly inhaled sharply. He even had teeth again. He was jumping into the air for the first time in decades without worrying about breaking, well, everything, and he forgot about the wood he was tasked to find. He must tell his wife, right away. Running back home, he dashed past all the places he had stopped to rest as an old man. He was now swift and light and powerful. It felt as though he was flying past the trees, his toes barely touching the ground as he sprinted to his wife. He was so excited to share this miracle with her. They had spent a lifetime together and now they would have so many more. Coming home, he saw his aged wife, just a few years younger than his actual age, stooped and sweeping near the front door. She shrieked when she saw the stranger and scrambled for the door. The stranger not only wasn't stopping, but he was running right for her. She tried to slam the door, but the husband caught it and easily pushed back at her, saying, look at me, don't you recognize me? She was terrified. The day had finally come when bandits would break in and kill her and she was too... Wait, yeah. Actually, she did recognize him, but that was impossible. Excitedly, the husband explained what he had found. That he had discovered the fountain of youth. He told her where it was and asked her to go with him right now. They could live together forever. She looked at him, the young, handsome man she had married all those years ago. She was suddenly aware of her scraggly gray hair, spotted skin, and wizened face. She wanted to go, but she didn't want this man that she loved so dearly to see her in this light to watch her as she huffed over the hills and had to stop every few minutes to rest. No, she said, holding up a wrinkled hand. They couldn't go together. Who would watch the house? The husband cocked an eyebrow. Wait, aren't we, like, super poor, like, boiling water and calling it soup poor? And I didn't even cut wood today, so we have literally nothing to protect. Let me come with you and help you. But the woman was insistent. Respecting her wishes, the husband reluctantly detailed exactly where the fountain was, and he watched as she hobbled off into the forest alone. Hours passed, but the husband didn't think anything of it. It had taken him hours to get to the spring on his way out. He expected, at any moment, to see the woman he married in the flower of her youth emerge from the forest. When several more hours passed, he did begin to worry and as the sun began to set, he knew that something was wrong. He jogged along the trail, the chill of the night creeping into the air, expecting with every turn to see his elderly wife collapsed, her advanced age finally catching up to her, ironically, on the trip to finally undo it all. But he saw only the quiet twilight of the forest before him. It was nearly dark when he found the clearing with the spring, but not his wife that's when he noticed something on the ground that he hadn't seen before. His wife's clothes. Confused, he jumped as something wiggled just beneath them. At that moment, the woodcutter realized what had happened. Why his wife had never returned. She had been thirsty when she arrived, as had he. The difference, however, was that the wife wasn't used to traveling through the forest alone and that she was quite eager to reach the spring. And rejoin her husband. She had found it, filled her hands to overflowing, and drank deeply. She hadn't known how much he had drank, and she felt good as the water worked its magic. Her youth returned to her with every gulp, restoring her strength and vitality. And so she continued drinking. At the third helping, she'd fallen over. In shock, the old man bent down into the dirt and gently sifted through the clothes by the pool. There, amid all the folds of fabric, lay a squirming baby girl. She couldn't have been older than six months, He held her close to keep her warm in the evening air and walked slowly back to their meager home. He had no idea how to care for a baby. And though he had wished for another lifetime with his wife, he had not wished for this life. Kind of beautifully tragic ending. The husband and wife do get another lifetime together, but the husband will be essentially raising his partner. They are generously gifted the time they wanted, and they both regain their youth, but it's their relationship that's irrevocably changed in the process. I want to say thanks to joner 619 Amazon Huntress, please fix, Abnormal Cupcake, a Tory Story, Caitlin Joyce H. 415, Lady Lupine, Eccentric Moon, Lord Ganesha, Demonic Pigeons, Lizaboo, Chris Rosie, Elmore87, Commandant, and Haribo's Grandad for the reviews in Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for leaving those reviews. If you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still the best place and you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. Next week, we're back in the stories of the Vikings from Scandinavian folklore with a character who was there the entire time during the Volsung saga just being a cool best friend hanging out. But you just didn't notice him. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a dad saddle, or daddle, a saddle that goes on dads for piggyback rides, because that apparently needed to exist, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that, sadly, do not include adjustable strips, a saddle horn, and a saddle blanket for authenticity. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the Mora, from Slavic folklore. The Mora is, basically, the Slavic nightmare. It's kind of like a vampire that steals your life energy while you sleep. Unlike most vampires, though, the Mora can be anyone. Your mom, your dad, that nice neighbor down the street, the little girl who lives in the apartment down the hall. Even worse, the Mora doesn't even realize they're doing it. When the Mora falls asleep, their soul leaves their body, and they can float through walls and find their victims while they're asleep. The mora will just think they're dreaming, but they'll come to settle on a victim who, if they wake up, will feel like they're suffocating. If they don't wake up, they'll just have the worst nightmares they've ever experienced, while the mora drains their life energy. It's kind of easy to keep the mora out. Maybe. The easiest way depends on you never wanting to use your bedroom locks again, because you just need to fill the keyholes with wax, and then point your shoes away from your bed. In Poland, there are many more precautions you can take, like drinking coffee grounds before sleeping, smearing feces all over your front door, and leaving a bale of hay in your bed, and sleeping in another room. I don't know, I feel like door poop and a hay bed are kind of worse than your occasional nightmare. If you wake up in the middle of a mora attack, and are able to break free from its grasp, it'll transform into a completely innocuous apple, ball of wool, or hairballs that we all keep on our nightstands all the time. The fun thing is, Even if you don't realize it, you're cursed for all eternity to hunt the life force of the living because your soul will continue to give people nightmares long after your body dies. Equally as scary is what it takes to become a mora, which is shockingly easy. For instance, you can become one if you're the seventh daughter. If you have your name mispronounced while you're getting baptized, if you have multicolored eyes or a unibrow, if a woman was promised to a man, but then he breaks the promise and marries another, the rejected woman can become a mora because isn't folklore fun? You can also accidentally become a Mora if you mispronounce a prayer, which, as someone who mispronounces things professionally, is particularly terrifying. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to Simply Safe for sponsoring us this week. It's important to feel safe at home. Simply Safe knows this. That's why they developed a security system that keeps working when the power goes out, if the Wi-Fi goes down, or even if a burglar smashes your keypad. They also have some of the fastest response times in the industry, ready to send help 24/7 if there's an emergency. Go to simplysafe.com/legends to check it out. That's simplysafe.com/legends. All right. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.